Welcome to another week of the Uproar Podcast, where we believe that the power of God is still moving and changing a generation. And I'm pumped to be able to preach to you guys this afternoon. I was reading through, and this has been on my heart for like a month. And if you know anything about a preacher, if we got something on our mind and something on our heart, waiting an entire month is torture. Like if you want to make me tortured, make me wait to preach something. So I want to bow our heads and pray real quick, and we're going to get right into the word. I'm really not going to waste a lot of time or beat around the bush. Father, in the name of Jesus... I thank you for every single person in this room. Father, we know that you have a mighty destiny and a mighty plan for every single person here. So I pray that whatever misconceptions, I pray whatever, Lord, heart issues, I pray whatever might be holding us back, that this afternoon would be completely broken so we could be launched towards what you have us, for what you have for us to do. That, Father, you didn't call us into this world to suck air, to go through school, to graduate, to have babies, and and to to do whatever else that the world thinks we should just do and live a nice life. But you have us here to turn the world upside down. So, Father, let it come alive in our hearts even today. In the mighty name of Jesus, can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, does anybody remember, I believe it was Cinderella, when she looked in the mirror and, and she said, mirror, mirror on the wall. What was it? Snow White. I'm, you know, I, I'm not really a big Disney person. I don't know if you could tell. Um, Snow White. She looked, she said, mirror, mirror on the wall. How's the rest of it go? One more time. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? I think it's so cool because we ask a lot of questions, right? I, I, love, I love answering questions, but I believe that we have a lot of questions And I want to talk about that question because we're all looking for who we are. We're all looking for an identity. We're looking for someone or something to identify who we are. And I believe that most of the time we're asking the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong people. See, she was asking a mirror on a wall who couldn't actually give any real true answer. But oftentimes we... We ask society, we ask our friends, we we ask all over the place, who am I? We ask mirror, mirror on the wall, and then fill in the blank. See, let me let you in on something. I love food. Is there any food lovers in the building? I love food. I ascribe to food. I'm a fan of food. All foods, I love food. So for me, I love to eat. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I like to lift too. So I have this weird balancing act of I love food and I love the gym and I love the food and I love the gym. And I like, it's crazy because the more I go to the gym, the more I like fat shame myself where I'll, be, I'll like, I'll eat a giant piece of cheesecake and I'll wake up the next morning like you are worthless for eating that piece of cheesecake. And I'll just, I will beat myself up over it. But it's crazy because we ask ourselves so many questions. We try to define ourselves so much. But we define ourselves in so many of the wrong places at the wrong time with the wrong things. See, Leonard Ravenhill, he said it like this. There's three people living in each one of us who we think we are, who others say we are, and who God says that we are. 
See, I want to ask you, who are you? We ask all the time, who am I? We ask a lot of people, who am I? But until you know who you are, until you know how God has defined you, you'll never turn anything upside down other than your purpose and your destiny. You'll never do what God has called you to do until you learn who he has called you as. And that's the issue. We try to define ourselves with, with the world, but we have to define ourselves by the word of God and the word of God only. So who do you think that you are? And the mirror that we look into every day isn't the mirror on the wall that, that's, that Snow White asked that question to. The mirror we look into every single day is our heart. The Bible says it like this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, how you'll act is how, you'll see your, is how you see yourself. What you do is how you see yourself in your heart. I don't have to ask you who you think you are. I just have to look at your actions. You'll do what you believe about yourself. You'll act how you believe about yourself. You'll go as far as what you see yourself doing in your heart. And it's crazy because how we see things and how God sees things are completely different. See, when we look in the mirror of our heart, we see pain, but he'll see he can make it into purpose. We might see weakness, but he sees power. We might see an outcast, but he sees that you're called to a generation. We might see and think that we're a mistake, but he calls us redeemed. And I have a laundry list of things I'm going to share with you out of that. But I need you to know how you see yourself is how you will act every single day. See, I was reading through Judges chapter 6, and I found this man named Gideon. Anybody heard the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6? I love Gideon. I love this guy. His story is so powerful. But to know his story, you got to know a little backstory. In Judges chapter 6, we find that the Israelites are being robbed by their enemies because they had entered into a lifestyle of sin and idol worship. And what their enemies were doing is they would come when the harvest was ready. They would come when the crops had grown up and they would steal all the, all the harvest and all the crops, leaving the Israelites with no food because they were in a lifestyle of sin and it's crazy because a prophet shows up and starts speaking but then in Judges chapter 6 it zeroes in on one man in the nation and this one man his name is Gideon and it's crazy because when they found when when it zeroes in on Gideon they find him in a in a threshing floor what he was doing is he was in a, in a wine press, and what he was doing is he was walking around stomping on wheat so he could break it down and turn it into bread. And it's crazy because when the angel showed up and appeared to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, the angel appeared, the Bible reads this, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now I've never seen a mighty hero who's hiding in a wine press, stomping out wheat. 
See, what he was doing was the mundane. What he was doing wasn't special. What he was doing wasn't fancy. What he was doing didn't seem like it was special in any sort. And a lot of people find themselves in the same exact situation. Your, your wine press, your wheat, it's, it's not a wine press and it's not wheat, but oftentimes it's your high school where you're going every single day and you're like, God, why have you called me here? God, why does it look like this? Nobody in my school serves you. Nobody here is doing this. Maybe it's not your school. Maybe it's your community. I don't know where it is, but oftentimes it's where we labor every single day, and it's powerful because he's in this, and he's walking, and he's crushing this wheat, and God shows up on the scene and says the wildest thing. He says, mighty hero. He wasn't acting like a mighty hero. Sure as heck didn't look like a mighty hero, but how he was acting and how he looked was different from how God defined him. See, Gideon replied, he said, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? See, it's, it's crazy to me because he started to look at his whole generation. But God never said he was with all of Israel at that moment. He said, I'm with you. The Lord is with you. See, what happens oftentimes when the Lord tries to speak to us and call us out of something, we take it off of us and put it into the projection of the whole thing. If you look at our generation right now, we might not say that they love Jesus. But what has God said about you? What has God individually spoken about you? And that's the issue. And I believe that's why, where, why we are where we are right now. Because we haven't taken ownership of what God has said about us individually. Every time we hear a word, every time we hear something, we, we, we turn it and we start to look, well, this person doesn't do this and culture doesn't do this and this and this and this and this. But what about us? What about you individually? Please stop looking to everybody else and take responsibility about what God has said about you individually. Mother Teresa said it like this. She said, if every single person would sweep their door at night, would sweep outside of their sidewalk every single night, the entire world would be clean. See, sometimes being a mighty hero is just taking care of home first and recognize who you are inside of Jesus and stop throwing things off and blaming other things but saying, God, who am I? What have you said about me? And then he went on to complain about it. And this is Gideon. He said, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to the Midianites? Man, how many of us has asked the same question? We'll go to youth group every single week. We'll go to church on Sunday. We'll even go to conferences. And we we'll say, well, this is great and all, but what about everybody else? Well, I've heard about miracles, but where is it in my generation? I've heard about freedom, but where is it for my friends? I've heard about, about freedom, but where is it for me? We asked the same question Gideon did. We know what he's done, but he's, we're looking for what he will do. I really believe that every generation is looking for the hand of God. But most churches, most places, most people, they just bypass it because they're scared of it. Or they give up and they start looking somewhere else. See, I really believe we need a proof of a mighty living God. 
We can't keep going the same way that we are, just going and going for a party. We need the presence of Jesus. We need the presence of God to show up where we are. We don't need another party. We need the power of heaven. We don't just need another collective thing. We need an individual word from heaven. We need God to define us. We need God to define who we are. And it's crazy because after Gideon brought these things to God, or brought it to the angel, says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I am sending you. How powerful is that? We literally just went from a guy who's hiding, stomping on crops. Like, A, that would hurt. I don't know how long you can stomp on wheat before your heels hurt. To showing up and meeting with an angel complaining that he hasn't seen the hand of God, to God looking at him and saying, go, you're the one that I'm going to use. You're the one that's going to deliver your people. You're the one that's going to step up. You are the one I'm sending. Go with the strength that you have. Go with the strength that I'm sending you with. And a lot of us, I think we can identify with this. And we might not feel anointed, we might not feel appointed, we might not feel like we're powerful, but what has God said about you? How has God defined you? What has God spoken about your life? We gotta stop looking at how we feel and we gotta look at how God has defined us. We gotta stop looking at the rest of the generation and how they're missing God and we need to identify God and what he's saying about us and what he's calling us to do and who he's called us to be because it will never happen if we look around and expect everybody else to do it. Do this with me real quick. Will you look around the room? Look around and make eye contact with a couple people. Now do this. Put your hand out for me. Your hand will never touch anybody else by simply looking around and expecting somebody to make a move. I believe, I really believe this. Most people don't have the hand of God moving in their life because we're looking around expecting somebody else to be the hand of God. When God has called us mighty hero, when God has said, I'm sending you, we need to take personal responsibility of this. This is the deal. God wants to use your hands. And it will only happen corporately when we take individual responsibility of the mission of heaven. When we take responsibility and don't say, oh, no, no, they'll do it. They worship greater. They know the word more. They're more passionate. They're better at putting together a message. They're bolder than I am. I'll let them do it. No, forget letting them do it. Can we take personal responsibility and say, I know that it's, it's me. It's my, it's God wants to use my hands. God wants to use me in this generation. It's a personal responsibility but we'll never personally take responsibility for the word of God if we don't believe what the word has defined us as. And that's the issue. It's cool because God never answered his question and said, where have you been? Gideon was asking, where have you been? God never answered his question. He responded with a commission. He responded with the solution. See, God gives solutions. Solutions are people. God uses people. 
You are not just here to look around and help, hope that your youth pastor does it and hope that the pastor's kid does it. You're here because you're a solution for the world. God has sent you and purposed you in this time and in this season to be his hand to this generation. Period. Think about this. God has so much faith in you that he didn't send Moses to this generation. He didn't send David to this generation. He didn't send Paul. He didn't send Peter. He didn't send Timothy. He sent you to this generation because he has faith in you and how he has called you and what he's called you to do. Not the person next to you. But you to do. Here's what I love too. He said, go with the strength that you have. I am sending you. You know everything that you need is already inside of you. You just need to, you need to find it. I see so many people. God, place more boldness in me. No, that boldness is in there. It needs to be dug out. We got to dig those things out. Colossians 2.10 says it like this. And you are complete in him. See, on your own, we got problems. Anybody got problems in here on your own? If you're not raising your hand, you got a problem right now. You are a liar. But we are complete in him. We need to dig those things out in him. I just, I love this conversation between Gideon and the Lord. Where are you? Don't worry about that. I'm sending you right now. And then Gideon again says, but God, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. This is the same mistake we make. I think it's funny when we read through the Bible, I, at least when I read through the Bible sometimes, I'll look at people like, dang, he is so stupid. Like, God is talking to him. Why doesn't he believe what God is saying? But so often we do the same thing. We try to, like, uh, Gideon, you are, dude, how do you not see this? But we do the same thing all the time. It's so crazy because literally God is saying, you have the strength that you need. I'm calling you a mighty hero. I'm doing this and this and this and this. And he still comes with an excuse. And the excuse out of this time, it comes from comparison. I'm the weakest from the weakest. And I believe a lot of people can identify with that. Well, God, why would you use me? I'm the weakest of the weakest. I'm not that special. I'm not that smart. I'm not that bold. I'm not that much. See, if we're going to ever turn the world upside down, if your generation will ever be saved, if, you'll, if, if you're ever going to refuse to stop being silent, if you will be the uproar for this generation, here's what you have to do. You have to stop settling for the crumbs of comparison and pull your seat up to the table of God and start to take what he's placed in front of you and believe what he said about you and start to, start to literally digest what he has said about you. Not us, you. I'm breaking like all the preaching rules. Never say 
Never say you. Always say us. No, this is a you message. I need you to personally grab a hold of this. God wants to use you, but he will never be able to use you if you settle for the crumbs of comparison and refuse to pull up to the table and digest what he's set in front of you. I see so many people in the Bible who had a hindrance or something in front of them. It's crazy. Moses had a stutter, right? David, man, he was forgotten about. Literally, forgotten about. You can go through a laundry list of natural hindrances and issues that people had, but it was never what they had. It was what God had called them to do. Because in him, you are complete. In him, you are finished. In him is everything that you need to change your school, to win your family, to win your friends, to change your community. Everything you need is already on the inside of you. It's not about a perfect person. Find one, I dare you. It's about the person who's willing to say yes to God. It's just crazy because who, what is the excuse that you bring to God that he can't use you? Well, God, I can't beat this depression. Well, God, I just have, I have anger issues. Here's a good one. Well, God, I'm just not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not loud enough. I'm not bold enough. I'm not passionate enough. I'm not enough. Maybe it's not that you're not enough. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Maybe you feel like a failure. The list goes on and on and on. But what is the excuse you bring to God that he can't use you? And here's the question, who's wrong? Is God wrong for calling us or are we wrong for seeing ourselves how we do instead of seeing us how God has defined us? Who's wrong? And this is the crazy part. God still wanted to use him even after he had laid out excuses. He said, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. The Midianites at that point were a giant victory for them. Like literally they were going hungry because of these people. Right now, sitting here, if we look with our natural eyes, winning a generation and seeing our schools serve Jesus and seeing our friends maybe come to the Lord and winning a community, that seems like it's a giant feat to some people. But if the Lord is with us, it will be like fighting against one man. And you know what I've learned as well? God will use one man to do what a thousand tried to do. It just takes your yes. It takes you shedding off how you see yourself and believing how God has defined you. You know what's wild? Every single person that brought an excuse to God were corrected with truth. Moses will have a stutter. Who gave man a mouth was what God responded him with. See, we are complete in him. Your victory is in him. It's God in us that is the victory. And obviously we couldn't do it on our own or we would have, right? 
But here's another truth that I've come to learn. As much as you want your friends and family saved, God wants them saved even more. As much as you want to see your school serve Jesus, God wants to see your school serve Jesus even more. As much as you want to see God move in your generation, God wants to see it even more. So what's the hindrance? The hindrance is how we see ourselves. Because how we see ourselves is how we'll act. How we see ourselves is how we'll move forward. And unfortunately, a lot of people see themselves as the weakest of the weakest from the weakest. Instead of how God has defined us. Gideon went on in Judges 6, 6, 12 through 18, he said, If you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered and said, Surely I will stay here until you return. See, Gideon was like, look, all right, I believe it, I'm in. I'll do it, God. I'll go against it. He had his mind changed because he encountered truth. See, one of the things I love about conference is you get to be defined by truth. You get to encounter truth. And your mind can be changed about you. See, I believe that this weekend, your mind will be changed about who you are and how God wants to use you. But inside of that, you have to make a provision. You have to make an offering. And he gave a natural offering. He sacrificed a bull. But your offering looks a little bit different in a new covenant. Your offering looks like your life. Your offering looks like your yes to God. Your offering looks like changed priorities and a changed focus and a changed belief system saying, God, here I am. My answer is yes to you. My answer is yes, I'll, you, you, you can use me. Yes, I'll go as far as you've asked me. Yes, I'll do whatever it is. God, my offering is my yes. My offering is my life. We keep going on. It says, early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asher pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. See, what happened is overnight, he destroyed the place of false worship. Here's the deal. Some of you guys said yes to Jesus last night. Said yes, ruined me. But inside of being ruined, you got to destroy what was back there or you'll go back when you go home. See, if you don't destroy the hard issues, you don't destroy those old altars. What do I mean by an altar? That old thing you give your life to or you gave your life to needs to be destroyed. It needs to be destroyed so a new offering can be made. That new offering is the same offering you were giving to the world. That's your yes. Whatever it is, God, I'll do it. However it is, I'm right here. But he did it in one night. Some of you guys, you need to destroy the offerings and the altars. Some places need to come down. Some of you guys, it's abuse. Some of you guys, it's drugs. Some people, you just, the altar that you're sacrificing on is the altar of acceptance from people that don't even matter in the scheme of eternity. Some of your altars, it's sex. Some of it's pornography. Some of it's violence and anger. Some of it's that you just don't believe that you're good enough. Some of it's worth issues. I don't know what it is, but I know that that altar has to come down or when you leave here, you'll Go back to that altar instead of building a new altar and giving a new sacrifice. We got to move past what was holding us in the past so we can go into the future that God has called us to. We got to destroy those things so we can move forward. And what was so cool 
as we roll into chapter 7. Gideon's all in. Gideon gets his army around. He said, God, here I am. I'm ready to go. Here I am. I'm going to take it. And I believe when you leave this weekend, what I've been praying for all year is that you're launched when you get home, that you're coming out of here saying, God, use me. I'll be the one. I won't look to one. I'll be the one. I'll be the one that worships even harder on a Sunday morning. I'll be the one that's up praying before school. I'll be the one that's laying hands on the sick. I'll be the one that causes an uproar. I'll be the one that takes responsibility to never be silent. I'll be the one to turn the world upside down. I'll be that one. Individually. That's what I've been praying for that you go home with. And here's the deal. Gideon said, I'll be the one that destroys the Midianites. I'll get an army. And he got his army and God dwindled his army. But it was so cool because God said, if you want to know what the enemy is saying about you, you can go into their camp. If you need an extra shot of faith, you can go into their camp. And I need you to know what the enemy is saying about you in their heart of hearts. You ever run into a bully before? Anybody ever stand up to a bully? Let me see your hand. Wait, we got some people. Who punched a bully in the nose? Keep your hand up. I will not judge you. Good job. I'm going to start branding it as an anti-bullying conference. We can get more fundraising. I'm just kidding. But you know what I learned about bullies? When you sock them in the nose, they're normally the biggest babies. They go running crying. You know what I learned about the devil? He's the biggest baby because all he can do is puff himself up and look big and bad. But when you find out what the enemy truly believes about you, it should build faith into your heart. Judges 7, 12, verses 12 through 15. I want to read these real quick because this is really powerful. It says, now the Midianites and the Amicalites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous of lo as locusts, and their camels were without number. Yo, that's a lot of people. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So check this out. Gideon comes rolling into the camp. And there's so many people, it looks like a sea of locusts. And they're walking through this camp at night. <laughs> and it's crazy because the man said, I have had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian in the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel. Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. You know what's crazy? Gideon got to understand what the enemy really, really believed in their heart about him. I wish you could get the inside scoop of what the enemy believes about you. 
Because what the enemy says about you is the same thing that a bully would say about you. You're nothing, you're weak, you're stupid, you're foolish, you can't be huge, you can never defeat me, you're not enough, you're never, you're never going to be enough, God cannot use you, you're worthless, why even try? We've heard the lies, but do you know what the enemy really is saying about you? I hope they don't understand the truth about their authority. You know what the enemy is really saying about you? I hope they don't finally believe that they can actually win their generation. I hope that they forget that, 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 that I'm already defeated. I hope they never believe that they have all authority. I hope they never believe that Jesus Christ is holding the keys of sin and death. I hope they never figure it out. That's what he's saying about you. I hope they don't realize that they're more than conquerors. I hope that they don't realize all they need is a mustard seed of faith. They're saying, man, if they only realize that we are already defeated. Imagine the level of your faith if you could hear the enemy's fear about you. That's how that really sees you. There's three people living in all si inside of us. How we see ourselves, how the enemy sees you, and how God sees you. Jesus had a really cool encounter with his disciples and he said this he looked at his disciples and he said who do they say that I am and his disciples respond and you're like well some say that you're a prophet and some say that you this and some say that you're this and then he looked at him and he said who do you say that I am he said you are the Christ, son of the living God. And he said, you've answered correctly. And I love how cool this text is because when Jesus asked the question, he wasn't asking the question so that he could define himself. He was asking the question to realize if, if, if his followers had a revelation of who he was. And this is the issue. A lot of us were asking the question, who do you say that I am? But we're asking the wrong people the question. We're asking the wrong places the question. And we're getting an answer that's not giving us a proper definition. We're like Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall. The answer you're always going to get is you're not enough, you're not good enough, you'll never measure up. You might as well be quiet. It is what it is. Get over it and move on. But Jesus was able to ask this question of his followers because God had already defined him. He already knew who he was. That's why he could ask that question. And I believe that we're asking the question, but we haven't been defined by our Father because we're not in our word and we feel and we go by how we feel, not by what God has said. And if we always go by how we feel and not what God has said, then we'll always have a different definition of ourselves and we'll never move in the power and the authority of who God has called us that we really are. We'll continue to say, I'm the weakest of the weakest instead of saying, I'm a mighty hero as God has called me. So it begs the question, who are you? Who does God say that you are? Who are you? And I want to answer that question so you never have to worry about it again. Well, I've heard messages on, on, on my identity. Good. 
Please don't put this off on somebody else next to you this time and own it in your own heart so you can live like it because we live how we believe we are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How do you believe about yourself in your heart? Because that's how you're going to act. Who God calls us. Earlier I started and said, we see pain, he sees purpose. We might see weakness, he sees mighty. We see an outcast, he sees us as needed. We see a mistake, he sees redeemed. I need you to know that you are anointed by God. That means you have power and authority. I don't care what the devil tries to say. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you feel powerful when you wake up. I need you to realize that your purpose, who God has defined you as, I can have the band come up, how God has defined you as, is you have been anointed by God. You need to understand something about the anointing of heaven. The anointing of heaven, nothing can stop it, nothing can withstand it. It. it turns mountains into valleys. It turns bronze gates and breaks them. It takes chains and destroys them. It makes deserts absolutely oasises. It takes every hard place and turns it into an easy place. It breaks in a yoke of bondage. And because of God, you are anointed and have the anointing. So if you feel like you're the weakest of the weakest, I need you to know the truth. And the truth is that you are anointed by God. God. So well, I don't know. The last time I tried, I lost. I need you to understand that the last time you tried, you might have lost. But God said that you're more than a conqueror. And I know that if I'm more than a conqueror, I might have gotten knocked down, but I didn't lose. It's a big difference of, of being knocked down and losing. See, as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you might get punched and you might get knocked down, but that doesn't mean you've lost. The only way to lose as a son or a daughter of God is to stay down. He said, you are more than a conqueror. He's not your experience. He's more than a conqueror. See, stop living by experiences and live by truth. Some people, well, I don't know. No one's going to listen to me. Jesus said that you have all authority in Luke 10, 19. You have authority. Well, I don't feel like I have authority. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God has said. And he said that you have authority. Well, I don't know. I just, nothing ever seems to go my way. He said that you're an overcomer. In 1 John 5, 4, because of your faith. Well, I can't stop sinning. He said, you're a holy generation in 1 Peter 2, 9. Well, I don't feel like yeah, I'm special. I don't feel like God has called me like, like he called Gideon. He said, you're peculiar. You stand out to God. You have a purpose in God. You're not just here to blend in. You're here to accomplish something for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, I could never stand up in front of my school. I'm an introvert. He said that he's given you boldness to do what he's called you to do. Well, I'm just depressed. I could never do anything. I, I just go, go to my room. I can never de defeat depression. He said, you not only have joy, but a fullness of joy in, in, in John chapter 15. Well, I could never do it. He said that you're empowered. Well, I don't know. Somebody else can do it. He said that you are called. I'm not enough. 
he said that you are complete in him. I was a mistake, wrong. He said that you're created. And not just created, but you were created for good works. Well, I'm just going around and around this and I can never have peace. In him you have the fullness of peace. Well, I just can't get enough. I feel like I'm never fulfilled. In him you are fulfilled. I'm always overlooked. In Jesus you're favored. But most importantly, he said that you're a son or a daughter of the most high God. See, you'll never create an uproar if you allow the world to define you. You have to allow the word to define you. We cannot operate on what we see in us, but what he says about us. And we have a big time, we have a, a giant gap of people who say, I'm the weakest of the weakest. But God has said, you are a mighty hero for this generation. A lot of people, they say they're the weakest of the weakest of, because of where they're from. God doesn't care where you're from. He cares about where he's going to take you. God uses ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. Here's the deal. If you're going to turn anything upside down, I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that every single one of you have the capability to turn the world upside down because of who you are in Jesus. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what the past has looked like. I don't care your, your past defeats. I don't care about even your past victories. I care about how God has defined you. If we could believe that, we could turn the world upside down. You need to throw off what the world says about you. Not what Snapchat says about you. Not what Instagram says about you. Not what the expectations of the world say about you. What the word says about you. We need to believe who God says we are. And we need to encounter power and freedom now. What am I saying? Encounter. The issue a lot of us have in church is that we hear about these things, but we never encounter these things. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 says it like this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That word comprehend is really cool. It, it doesn't mean that you understand mentally, it means that you encounter him personally. And you'll never believe that you're a mighty hero until you understand personally that God has called you a mighty hero. Not a preacher behind a pulpit, but until you hear it in your heart of hearts from heaven, that he has called you a mighty hero and he has called you to your generation. He has called you to turn the world upside down. And my question to leave you with is, who's wrong? Is God wrong about who we are? Or are we wrong about who we are? 
with everybody standing in this place. I want you to take inventory and really ask yourself that question. Is God wrong about me? Or am I wrong about me? Who's wrong? Is God wrong? Or am I wrong? See, I, I believe he wants to set people free from cutting. I believe he wants to set people free from depression. I believe he wants to set people from anxiety. From a lack of worth. And I need you to believe who God says that you are. All over this place. It's not about the person next to you. It's about you. He wants to use you, but first, you have to truly, fully give your life to Jesus. I know we gave an altar call last night, and my friend probably gave one at 10 too. But you just never know where people are. I need you to understand that the devil will lie to you until you full, and he'll, he'll try to lie to you. But once you fully give your life to Jesus, you can then be and do what he's called you to do and be. He loves you so much he died on a cross. He loves you so much that he, <laughs> he paid for your sins. He loves you so much he's still in heaven sitting at the right hand of God praying for you. And if you're in this place and you say, I don't serve Jesus, Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've never given your life to him before. But if that's you, I'm not going to have you bow your heads. I just want to see you wave your hand and say, I've never given my life to Jesus, but right now is my moment. I've walked away. I need to get right. I need to give my life to Jesus. Amen. I see that hand. Here's what I'm going to do. If you're saying, right now I need to give my life to Jesus, I raise my hand or I know in my heart I need to. I'm going to invite you down to the front. and It's going to take some boldness, but we're going to go ahead and put our hands together for you real quick. I'm going to invite you down to the front because I want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible. Give them a second. Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that this is what it's about. People coming from death to life to give their life fully to you. Come on. There's got, I, I know there's at least a couple more people. You feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Don't play. This is a place for, for freedom. This is a place for openness. This is a place for you. Amen. It's the best decision anybody could ever make. It's getting right. Amen. Proud of you guys. What's your name? we're all going to pray together, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and just repeat after me, guys. Father, in the name of Jesus, today I give my life to you. I turn from sin. I give it to you. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for me. 
because you love me. And today, I'm yours. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now go ahead and put your hands together for these guys. You can go right over on this side. Don't worry, they love you guys. That's why they're here. Here's the deal. Everybody else, I want you to comprehend the height, the depth, the width of his love. Because it's not about a head knowledge in the, in, in the kingdom. It's about an understanding of who we are. So here's what I want you to do. Can anybody identify and say, you know what, I felt like the weakest of the weakest before. I, I, I've questioned how God could use me in my generation. Has anybody ever felt like that? I got a couple people that are willing to be honest. I got a couple people that are willing to be honest. If that's you and you say, you know what, I need to know who I am. I need to lay those things down. My next call is for you to say, you know what? I'm tearing down those old altars and my altar from right now is going to be yes. And I know when you say yes, that's when that new definition, that's when you're going to feel the Lord speak to your heart. You're not going to have to wonder anymore. But that list will be your list. What God has said can be true to you and in your heart. So I'm going to open up the altars and we're going to worship for a couple minutes. And we're going to lay some things down. Some of you guys are going to lay down depression and you're going to, and you're going to start to declare that you're a mighty hero. Some of it is going to be anger. Some of it is going to be worth. I don't know what it is, but you need to lay those old things down that held you back from believing you are a mighty hero. Those things that made you to say, I'm the weakest of the weakest. I want you to leave them at the altar because we come to the altar to be altered, to be changed, to be shifted. So on the count of three, I want you to quickly and boldly get out of your seat and bring those things to the altar and say, God, here it is. This was who I was. This was my definition. This was how I defined myself. But today, right now, it's different. Now I believe who I am. I believe what you said about me. I believe the definition that you placed over my life. One, two, you ready? We already got people coming. You can come on. Two, three, come on. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and give it to Jesus. You're not less than because of it. You're about to be more than because of your yes. Because of laying it down at the altar. Come on, let's go ahead and worship for a couple minutes together. Thank you, Jesus. And that concludes another week of the Uproar Podcast. We want to invite you to share this podcast on all social media platforms and help us spread the good news of the gospel. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast for updates on all of our latest content. 